Welcome once again to Unprofessional. I am, as always, Lex Friedman, and joined by the extremely talented and friendly Dave Whiskus. Hello. Today, we are extremely fortunate to have perhaps the specialist of special guests. We are joined by the one and only Jonathan Colton. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. How are you guys? We're good. I'm fine. I'll go with I'm fine. Okay. Some Something on your mind? You know, it's. Uh, I, I work on a treadmill desk, and... At this point in the day, it's 3.20 p.m. And when we're recording, you know, I, I, I stopped the treadmill. But, you know, at this point in the day, it's, it's been a day already. I've been walking for, you know, yeah. I don't know, 10 miles. And I decided I'm going to do this podcast standing today. And now I'm kind of thinking I, maybe I should have sat down, but it's fine. It's fine. I'm okay. fine. All right. I don't want you to worry about me. We'll, we'll get through it. We will. I've often wondered, the treadmill desk, does that power your computer? You know, if it did, I think that would be an ideal scenario because then you would never stop. Like, sometimes you're like, you know what, I'm just going to stop the treadmill for 10 minutes, and then 10 minutes turns into 30 minutes before you know it. But if it powered the computer, I feel like you probably wouldn't stop. Yeah, I remember a Stephen King book where uh, the premise was that they had to keep walking if they, like, went below four miles an hour, then they got shot. It should be like that. The yeah. Long Walk by Richard Bachman. Yeah, it was yeah. Like a Richard Bachman book, not a Stephen King book. Well. Boom. You just got Colton'd. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be a little less nerdy about it. Oh, well, okay. I respect the, respect the man's nom de plume. That's right. All right. He never went back to that name. Um, no, he did. Um, there was another. There were a couple of Bachman. The, the, the books that paired together where you could put the two covers yeah. next to each other. Yeah. What was, was that, that one? Was that a thing? That was a thing. That was a Bachman one. Right. One, one was by Bachman and one was by King and they came at the same time. Like the, it's like a two word title, like the somethings. I don't know. <laughs> really? The somethings. Just look it up. It's you know it's that. <laughs> Just look it's it the, up. Uh, something. You know the one. Lex doesn't have Google. Uh, yeah, the, those were good books. The the Bachman oh, books. The regulators. That the was. regulators. It was the regulators, and it was paired with desperation. Oh, nice. Yeah, right. You are. Right, you are. Well, clearly, Lex is the the best man here. Mm-hmm. Lex wins. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for, for joining you, us. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So you, you're, you're recording today from the East Coast, is that right? I am, yes. I'm in my uh, East Coast uh, studio. My, got it. My home. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, you just got back from traveling, right? You were overseas, if I'm not mistaken. I was. Uh, I was doing a, a tour of uh, mostly, mostly England, but uh, one, one show in uh, Stockholm, uh, my first, first visit uh, ever to, to Sweden, uh, and, then, and then four shows in England. Did you make a lot of jokes about feeling compelled to stay there in Stockholm? <laughs> you know, that was uh, uh, the sort of exclusive response to me plugging the show on Twitter is that people made all sorts of Stockholm Syndrome uh, jokes. I can only imagine. There's nothing, nothing more depressing than like knowing, realizing when you look at Twitter that everybody's making the same jokes all the time. Oh, it is the worst. <laughs> it's really awful. Especially, you know, you see and you're like, I got to make this reply quickly. And then as you scroll up, you see people in your own timeline reply to the same person with the same joke. It's painful. Yeah, exactly. But I, I will say that the, the, the one, uh, there were many uh, stereotypes that held true in Sweden. Not Please just tell the, me it's the chefs. Please tell me it's the chefs. No, no, I didn't see any. I, well, I don't know. I, I Technically, I didn't meet any chefs. So I don't know if they were like that. <laughs> then we're going to assume they all say Borg, Borg, Borg all day. That's fine. They do. Borg, 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 Borg is a word that means something, I'm sure. Um, but they were, they were tall and blonde. That, that part is true. Uh, they also, you know, I did, um, because it was my first ever show in Stockholm, I, I uh, uh, invited requests. And they, they requested uh, a lot of really depressing songs. And so I had a, <laughs> I had a, a little mini set of depressing songs in the mini, middle of my show. Because, you know, it's very dark and sad in Sweden. 
That's interesting. Did you feel dark and sad there? Not during that portion of your set, but, you know, did you feel dark and sad in Sweden or were you just excited to, you know, be amongst the Swedes? No, it was uh, sunny and beautiful and tall and blonde. It was very nice. <laughs> so maybe it's maybe it's just that they're so surrounded by the tall and the blonde and beautiful that they're like, you know what, somebody's got to bring us down. And at that point, you were the man to do it. Yeah, it can't always be a high. You have, you have to have some lows. <laughs> That's true. If it were a high all the time, that it would it would cease to mean anything. And uh, Sweden is the home of IKEA, correct? It is, and I uh, I opened with IKEA, and that was a very it was a very exciting uh, moment uh, to think that uh, you know I wrote that song so many years ago before I had any hope of ever playing it in Sweden. It would would have seemed like a ridiculous thing to suggest that someday I would be playing that song in Sweden, but there I was. Full circle, as they say. Very satisfying. It's a dream come true. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're, when you're traveling for shows and such, are you a good traveler? Are you, are you a fan of flying and the TSA and all that part? Who isn't? <laughs> the TSA. Oh, the TSA. Do you opt out? That's the question. That is a big question. I don't opt out. You know, I feel, what? I feel like I should opt out. But What about I, America, Jonathan? I know. What about America? <laughs> I just don't feel like dealing with it, you know? Like, I, I don't have... I've never been... I've never had a lot of uh, political backbone. I'm, I'm a lot of talk, but when it comes to opting out, I don't want anybody to look at me, you know? Um, so I don't. <laughs> and then, you know, the funny thing about Europe is that when you're in Europe, they, you get into line and then you realize you don't have to take your shoes off. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, what a wonderful... <laughs> what a wonderful, joyous thing that I don't have to take my shoes off. And then you the realize that when you're traveling in America, they make you feel like an animal every time you go on an airplane. It's terrible. Take your shoes off? Honestly, Awful. an animal at best. It's, it's just, it really feels you know, like you've already done something bad. And you know, when they yell at you because you forgot to take off your, your jacket or your sweater or your hoodie, and they're like, you got to take that off. It's like you feel like, oh, man, I screwed this up. I, I'm essentially trying to sneak bombs onto this airplane. Like I feel guilty right. of whatever yeah. the TSA is trying to stop me from doing right. as soon as I screw up anything in that line. Even just taking a long time to dig your laptop out of the bag, I feel like I'm a terrorist to all the people in line behind me. Right. And, and of course, they've been yelling the same thing at people all day long, who, you know, clueless people who don't know that you're supposed to take your laptop out of the bag. And so they, they're exhausted. They're tired of yelling at people, too. They're sick of their own voices, I'm sure. Um, but it's and they're awful. so condescending about it. When they do that, that giant uh, yell at everybody at once, because one guy tried to bring a water bottle through. Hey, water's a liquid, in case you didn't know. Yeah, I know. It reminds me of, uh, this wasn't obviously a, a TSA thing, but there, uh, my wife and I once went to the Hoover Dam, and you could tour the, I don't know, the inside. I don't know much about dam mechanics, but uh, there, which is also a good musical. But, you know, so we, we go in, and there's, uh, there's this area you can tour. And sitting outside the area that you can tour is a security guard. Uh, whether he was government employed or not, I don't know. But he literally repeated, I sat and watched him for about an hour because we were waiting for a friend who was late. And uh, he literally repeated over and over again. Take the camera out of the bag, put the bag in your pocket. Take the camera out of the bag, put the bag in your pocket. So each person walking in with the camera to take photos had to unbag their camera and shove that bag into their pocket. And this was his job to repeat it all day. And man, he as miserable as you imagine a human being could feel having that job is clearly how miserable he felt. But to his credit, he never raised his voice. If people seemed to ignore him because, you know, there's just some weird guy droning the same instruction again and again, he would just stop them, put his hand out and get them to stop before they entered to take the camera yeah. out of the bag. And that's what I think of every time I go through TSA. Yeah, that guy's that guy's really mad. You know, you're in trouble if you could be replaced by a sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. He's basically a sign, a human sign. <laughs> that oh, has well. to be a government job. I always opt out. I uh, you I, do. 
I always opt out. And with when when I'm with my kids, I have three young kids, you know, ages basically just about six, three, and one. And um, you're down to three. Yeah, uh, we we traded some. <laughs> I got a free iPad out of the deal. But so when every time we go through security with them, they the TSA. I don't know if it's a policy or if it's just they realize it's the only sane way to do things. They kind of push the the families now to the non-porno scanners, which is very nice of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but when I'm flying without the kids, which I do far more often, and it's generally, uh, with the, this one exception, far less stressful. I kind of hate flying with my kids. Uh, but, you know, when, when I'm solo, I always end up at the porno scanner. I'll go to the line where they're not running the that one, and I'll, I'll go to the line where there's, you know, just a regular old metal detector. And as soon as I get to the front, they're like, hey, let's switch. Let's switch it up. I guess I have that look. Like, let's switch it up and have you go to that one. And then I opt out, and then you wait for a long time, and then you get very, very familiar with your kindly TSA agent. It's great. I love right. it. I guess the reason I, another reason that I don't opt out is that I'm really proud of my body, you know, <laughs> and I I want people to see. Uh, I guess in my case, I want people to know the heat that I'm packing, you know. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, my policy is when I go through, I always opt out. I've never gone through the porno scanner. When I opt out, not only do I opt out, I request a private screening. Oh. The reason I do this is because when there's a private screening, two of them have to be in the room with you. And I figure if they're going to waste my time, I'm going to waste twice as much of theirs. <laughs> they must love you. It's very, it's very vindictive. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's passive resistance, I think is what Gandhi called it. <laughs> and I am just like Gandhi. I think I'm passive aggressive resistance. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you this. I, uh, Jonathan, you're a father. Um, when you, at least I've been told I am uh, dad. <laughs> um, but so when you fly and you see that there's going to be a, an infant near you, do you, do you do the, the patented, I'm a father to smile and nod that you hope isn't too creepy a smile to parent? Or do you think to yourself, Oh God, this baby is sitting near me. This is going to be horrible. I've, I've caught myself doing the, the creepy smile and nod. And, and I, I actually don't mind. I mean, it, you, you know, once you've had kids, and you've gotten a little bit good at tuning out your own children. It's much easier to tune out other people's children. And and honestly, it's sort of um, there's something luxurious about listening to a baby cry and knowing that it is not your problem. <laughs> yes, yes, I love anytime, especially if we take the family, whether it's on a plane or to a restaurant or whatever it is. If some other kid at some other table starts screaming, I am just thrilled. I only a parent would say that. It makes the whole evening so much more relaxing for me because I don't have to worry about what my kids do because somebody else's kid is already ruining it for everyone. Right. They've they've set the bar very low, and you are guaranteed to succeed as a parent. When night. I fly with my kids now, I you know I just have the one baby at this point, and. Uh, my other two kids are fine on flights. They'll play with iPads or Kindles the whole time and leave everyone else alone. But the baby, you know, is less interested in those things. Um, so we now bring little goodie bags for the seats in front of us, the seats behind us, and the flight attendants, where it's like a little note that says, hey, I, I know I'm Liam and I'm flying and I'm going to try really hard to be quiet today. But if I screw up, enjoy this chocolate. And then we put like a Hershey bar in there and a little picture of him to show how cute he is. And we disseminate those to the people who sit around us. Nice. You know what I would do if I had a kid, if I had a baby and I was on a plane, especially by myself? Uh, if the kid started crying mid-flight, I would just stand up and start screaming, whose baby is this? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody left this baby here. <laughs> just to see what happens. Now, the, I will say, the last we just flew last month um, from Jersey to Los Angeles and back. And both times, it was even the same kid, the same people on the same flight. Uh, in front of us sat a much more horrible kid. Like, my kid was actually pretty good. And this kid screamed the entire way to Los Angeles. And I was mad the whole time that I had given them chocolates and they gave me nothing because they had all the pleasure and I had all the suffering. Oh, wow. That's tough. Do your kids, yeah. when, when you're traveling with your kids and there's another kid freaking out, 
do you like share a look with your kid and your kid is like, what's the matter with that kid? Does that happen? <laughs> I, I mostly just tell my kids how great they are and how uh, they are clearly much better than that other person. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That other child is a monster. It's important that they grow up with a sense of entitlement and superiority. Right. Now, we have a, a mutual friend, I believe, in uh, Amy Jane Gruber. Is that right? Yes, I, I love her to death. Although I've only I've only hung out with her for uh, for uh, you know the equivalent of four or five martinis. Oh, uh, that's that's true of everyone. She doesn't spend more than four or five martinis. In fact, four I would say is high with her. Yeah. But <laughs> when but I, she was our our very first guest, and we talked to her a bit about her parenting philosophies. Do you have general parenting? You know, do you have a, a parenting technique or or a philosophy that you use for your own family life? I yeah, I try. I try very hard not to I mean the real the real trick is to not take things too seriously and to to um uh let things roll off your back when you can cuz it's like there's once they get to a certain age and it's not very old you know they realize that they are in a power struggle and they 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 discover all the buttons that they can push they know very well how to work you over and so <laughs> you know you you have to stay on guard all the time to not um, sink to the level of the four-year-old that you are trying to uh, talk into <laughs> compliance, um, right. you know, and and that is that is the that is the struggle. And I, that we, on the days that I feel successful, it is the days when I have behaved as though I were an adult, <laughs> even though <laughs> even though my kids were trying like mad to get me to behave like a child. That for me is the is the trick. This is why I can't be a parent. I don't think I'm capable of pulling that off. Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, the thing is, like, the, immediately, I mean, every, anybody who's a parent will tell you that um, it's, it's mostly, much like you, you discover on Twitter that everybody is telling the same joke, you hear yourself saying the same things that all parents say, the stupid things that all parents say. Yes. Um, and and uh, it's, it's just, it comes with the job, and, and it's, uh, uh, you know, it may, <laughs> it's a challenge to not feel like a complete fraud when you're when you're when you hear that stuff coming out of your mouth but but also it's like you know you will definitely rise to the occasion because we're all dumb parents at the end of the oh, day certainly the the thing that i eventually realized was and i think it's right in line with your philosophy there of you know trying to stay on the adult level is recognizing that uh i don't not just that i don't have to always be right that they can be right sometimes but that i could i'm hoping this is a good life lesson but that i can apologize to them when i do act for lack of a better term, childishly. So, you know, if I, if I have stooped to their level and, and behaved foolishly with them, then I'll, I'll try to, as, as immediately as possible in that moment, say, you know what? That was a, a dopey thing for daddy to say. You know, if I say, you know, no one will ever love you and you're a worthless... No, that's not what happens. You know, but if, if, if there's like a... <laughs> right. If there's a, a, a match of wills, and I'm like, well, you have to finish it because I said so. And I said, you know what? That's not actually a good reason for why you have to finish your dinner. Let's talk about what right. a good reason is. I'm the parent and you're right. the child. Right. right. I, said, you know, I was wrong. You know, so I try to say I was wrong and here's here's how I was wrong and here's how I'm going to try to, you know, correct myself or make amends or whatever it is. That's I don't know. Right. But I, I, Daddy I, should not have run over your bicycle with his car <laughs> and he's very sorry. Yeah. Exactly. Will this attitude bleed into our relationship at some point, Lex? Uh yes. I do I, I yes. At some point I will behave like an adult with you. <laughs> don't sink to his level though. He puts on a happy face for this show. Right. You should hear how I treat this guy when you're not around. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> when the microphones are off, it's just nothing but verbal abuse nonstop. That's right. That's right. Now, do you have, you know, obviously, I mean, you have what I guess one would consider an unusual career. 
Um, I have a fairly normal job. I'm a, I'm a writer by trade and I work from home. But so I feel like my kids have a totally skewed view of what work is because for them, working is me going into the office and ignoring them with the door closed, and not letting them come in for a while. Do you feel like when, you know, uh, do you feel like your kids have a skewed idea of, you know, what, what it is for folks to work, you know, what jobs are? I can't imagine what they think because, you know, it's, it's got to be very confusing because, uh, you know, when I work, I'm, I'm, I'm just upstairs, you know, <laughs> so when they're home, you know, they just got home from school. We have a, uh, we have a part-time, uh, nanny who picks them up and, and, um, takes care of them in the afternoons. Uh, and you know, it's kind of weird cause they come home and here I am upstairs. And sometimes I have to go downstairs cause there's a printer down there that I sometimes have to use or I have to go down to grab something before I go outside or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, I go in and they say, daddy. And I say, no, no, I'm working. I'm working. <laughs> I have to go to work now. I have to do my work. And it's, uh, you know, and sometimes it feels even a little ridiculous to me that, uh, to describe what I, what I do throughout the day as work. But, um, uh, it's gotta be even weirder for them. Although that said, I don't know what, you know, they don't have much else to compare it to. Uh, my wife has been working out of, out of the home as well for a while. So, uh, and there are a lot of, it's certainly in, in Brooklyn and Park Slope, Brooklyn, there are a lot of parents who, uh, have, uh, have that kind of flexibility and working from home. And I, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the, maybe my kids see the people who go to an office as the outliers, you know, my dog feels the same way. <laughs> Dave doesn't have kids. He, he's feeling left out now. <laughs> whenever, whenever we talk about kids on this show, I always feel a little bit left out because, uh, I, I turn around and behind me, I have a very small dog and that's pretty much it. Not that I feel a need to have kids, just I don't have a lot to say about them. Right. What sort of what sort of dog is it? She is an Italian greyhound. Oh, that's a cute dog. So extremely tiny. Her name is Pixel, and uh, yeah. No, wait a second. When you said that's a cute dog, does that mean that like without Google image search, you know what an Italian greyhound is going to look like? Sure, yeah. I know what an Italian greyhound looks like. I've seen those dogs. Yeah. Wow. It's a greyhound, but smaller. A tiny little greyhound, greyhound yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the picture that I found from Wikipedia has like an absurdly tall dog. Can that possibly be right? This must be the wrong dog. Yeah, you're probably looking at the wrong dog. You're probably looking at a regular greyhound. Yeah. So the picture is the picture that Google pulled for its results had like an absurdly tall Italian greyhound. Oh, and there is one, a picture of a dog from 1915 where it's really <laughs> tall. But anyway, yours is not absurdly tall. Is that right? No, no. She's uh, she weighs 10 pounds and she's like a foot tall. Italian greyhound is just like a regular greyhound, except uh, very, very small. And uh, they ride scooters and love meatballs. Right. <laughs> maybe uh maybe in 1915 uh, italian greyhounds were just as big as regular greyhounds are you a pet person jonathan do you do you have dogs or cats or whatever in the home i i grew up uh i grew up in the wilds of connecticut um and uh my uh my parents had uh a lot of animals dogs of various kinds cats wild and not um <laughs> birds like all at once fish frogs yeah we lived in the country and um there were a lot of animals around always. So, uh, you know, I always think of myself as a dog person. Uh, but when I was in college, I got a cat because uh, they're, you know, they're sort of easier to either easier to deal with on some level. You don't have to walk them anyway. Um, and I wanted a pet. So we got a cat. And uh, I don't think I realized at the time that the cat would continue to be alive after I left college. <laughs> Uh, and so I did. took care of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he uh, he continued to live for many years, uh, and he died actually last year. He was he was almost twenty years old. And uh, oh wow, yeah. And the, every time I would take him to the vet, 
um, you know, the, the vet would say, I would say, oh man, he's really, uh, he's probably having trouble, right? He's really at the end, right? And the vet would say, no, he seems pretty good. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, come on. I mean, I, you know, I love that cat to death, but, um, uh, literally, literally, good job. uh, at, uh, near, near the end, he was, uh, you know, he was becoming incontinent and he had this bad habit of in the middle of the night wandering around meowing this sort of existential dread that he would feel at three in the morning every night and he was uh he had become a sort of unpleasant uh cat cat to be around much of the time uh and i was i was very very sorry to see him go but um then you know a couple of weeks later i I realized oh my god i'm not i'm not scooping poop out of a box and that feels great. <laughs> so right. we haven't we haven't uh, we haven't yet gotten another pet. Although my kids are my kids are always bugging me for for a puppy or a kitten or something. But we haven't we haven't. Oh, you got to go puppy. Well, I I would love to have a dog, but you know Brooklyn. There's no you you know it's it's about the it's about the walks. There's a lot of walks. If we had a backyard that we could we could let the dog run around in, that would be great. But um, uh, it's a lot more work when you when you live in the city. I think. Yeah. Well, uh, I live in I live in Denver downtown. With my dog, so I have to take her out and walk around and stuff. Not as bad as I thought it would be. You know, we had a uh, a Maltese puppy, um, and then he became a Maltese dog, I guess, at some point. Although I'm not exactly sure when that change happened. Uh, and he was was there a cocoon? Yes, uh, he was early on in life diagnosed with diabetes, um, and that meant that I got to give him two injections of insulin a day, and they had to be 12 hours apart. You were allowed to go 11, you were allowed to go 13, but not more or less. So we always had to be home again to make sure the dog got the insulin injections at the right time. And he learned to really love these insulin injections that he would get twice a day because he always got a treat afterwards. So as soon as he heard me tearing off the paper on the new fresh needle, he would come running. Um, (laughs) But I don't recommend... Oh, dogs. I don't recommend if you have the uh, if you have the choice. Don't buy a diabetic dog. Now he, he hadn't been diagnosed at the time we, we you know we took him home when he was like ten weeks old. But it is uh, it is less than ideal. It also sadly shortens their uh, lifespan. And Maltese's don't live that long to begin with. So we, he he only lived to be about six and a half years old. But uh, I did get I I did sort of feel like I could star on ER after a while because I got really good at canine injections. I don't know if they ever did canine injections on ER, but they should have if they didn't. Yeah, they, they well my cat uh at the end needed uh you know he was dehydrated all the time so I had to do these subcutaneous uh fluid injections ah. which is you know after a while you get good at that too but it's it's still like ugh really <laughs> really yeah really I got to sit here and give my cat an injection now it's uh man <laughs> as if I don't have enough to do already right and you know they say that that they're you know the the most popular breeds of parrots like the big parrots can live to be 70 or 80 years old yeah. So that that seems to me like uh, there are times when I have considered I really want to teach a parrot to say things. I just think that's got to be the f- most fun thing one can do with another flying animal, uh, mm-hmm. except except for ride it maybe. But um, yeah, I just can't imagine. Can you do the same thing with your kids? You can teach your kids to talk. An eighty year commitment is long. Well, I have an eighty year commitment with my kids already, or pretty much as long as long as I have, they have. Um, right. And I don't know, eighty years to have a single pet seems like a big. I don't think I could do it. I can't sign up for it. Maybe I'll get well, it. I'll I- get one when I'm seventy. I, I think those parent those parrots also they bond they bond with uh, humans pretty strongly and uh, I I have heard that uh, you know if if you get a parrot that is going to outlive you when you die that parrot is going to be really sad yeah and I don't want to make any parrots sad <laughs> right I want to bring joy to the lives of parrots and if I can't do that then I'm doing nothing 
I have always said I only want to help parrots. <laughs> it's my mission in life. But seriously, I mean, the fact, I mean, I know they don't understand what they're saying, but the fact that, you know, parrots can learn not just to say things, but to imitate noises. Like a parrot that imitated my iPhone ring, I think would just be delightful. I think that would drive me absolutely insane. The iPhone ring. Yeah, that would be, but, but my iPhone, be a problem. My iPhone's ring is a, is a They Might Be Giant song. So it's, it's, I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> that would be awesome. Right. <laughs> If you could get a parrot to sing a, uh, not just sing, but to recreate the sounds right. of a They Might Be Giant song, I think that would be impressive. Yeah. You need a chorus of parrots. There's that great parrot, um, Alex, who um, not only uses, not only uh, says words, but uh, researchers uh, believe they have demonstrated that he actually uses words in the same way we do and understands them as language. Right. Like, like has, I certainly, they, they believe that he had nouns. Like he could, yeah, identify, wow. yeah, which is, and, and he could do numbers, right? He could count or something. He could do numbers and they, they, they throw a bunch of toys on a plate and they say, uh, they say, Alex, how many blue blocks? And he counts the number of blue blocks and reports the number. It's kind of wow. amazing. And, uh, if you want to see Alex do his stuff live, uh, you're too late because he died in 2007. Why you got to bring oh, us down? That's right. What's Jesus, Lex? Pa- he's he's an African great it's a parrot. dead animal show. I like I, I like trying to make this sound like I know it all, <laughs> and I didn't just Google it. So trust me, I just know all this offhand. He, uh, African gray parrots are supposed to live till sixty, and he died unexpectedly at the age of thirty-one. I suspect foul play. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it was his use of language that shortened his life. Is, if humans hadn't evolved the ability to speak and communicate, we'd be like 500 yeah. years old. Is what maybe, maybe he was me. like, he turned 31 and he was like, oh, I'm so sick of myself talking. This podcast is shortening all of our lives. <laughs> I apologize. I'd like to think it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely worth it. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you talk about, you know, the subcutaneous injections for your cat or these, the, the, diabe- the insulin shots that I gave my dog, Charlie, you know, it's... <sighs> I was okay with, you know, when you did the shot with Charlie, you'd see a little drop of blood afterwards usually. And that didn't bother me. I don't know, the red blood on his white fur and you just soak it up with this uh, cotton ball. That was fine. But I hate human blood. I just want to put that out there. I am not a blood guy. You could not be a vampire? No. When my kid, I could not be a vampire. And when my kids have uh, blood involved boo-boos, that's mommy's job. I'll deal with, you know, throwing up and other things. But if there's blood, that's somebody else's department. Oh, see, now I'm the other way. I love human blood. As a as a condiment, <laughs> as a lubricant, I love to see it. I just love to be around it. It's just great to see. No, I, I yeah, <laughs> I don't have I don't have much of a much of a gross out problem with blood. Although I know I know people who uh, who uh, the drummer in my band actually can't. He gets faint when he sees um, any any sort of blood in a movie. He gets he starts to really? get dizzy. Wow, yeah. I'm not that. I can handle fake blood, no problem. But for me, it was, you know, like, I don't know, actual blood, whether it's I don't, no one makes me bleed my own blood. But when it's my own blood or somebody else's, it's I just I can't handle it. I, I had a buddy who I worked with who would literally need to sit down uh, if he th- if you reminded him about the existence of his heart in beating his chest and sending blood throughout <laughs> his body. Like That's that a little extreme. Wow. That I don't have a problem with, but it's, it's visual blood that huh. I can't handle. Seeing other people's blood, uh, that freaks me out. But seeing my own blood, like if I cut myself or uh, like when I cut off the tip of my finger, seeing the blood then, it's kind of fascinating. I don't really think of it as a gross thing. I guess I detach a little. How did you cut off the tip of your finger? I was making an omelet. I was cutting an onion. I was going to guess <laughs> masturbating. <laughs> that would be impressive. Which, uh, which, finger, which finger did you uh, cut off the tip of? Uh, ring finger on my left hand. 
and you were holding the onion with that hand, and you just sliced sliced right through the. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I I just bought a new knife, a new knife set, and uh, wasn't thinking about how sharp it would be. Yeah, it turned out to be a great knife. I still love that knife. <laughs> But uh, it, it, they... it eventually grew back, and, and I was able oh, to... Oh, it grew you know, back. So it was just, it was just uh, the tip on the, where the, on the other side. It wasn't like through the nail or anything terrible like that. Almost uh, about up to the nail. Ugh. See, I'm like, I'm dying over here now. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm just thinking of all the blood. and this. Now, I'm also bad at eyes. I don't know how, like, for when, uh, looking at other people's, like, if people, you know, just when you're rubbing your eyes or you pull it for a second and you show, like, all that red stuff that's in your eye, which I guess is probably also red blood. Stuff. I don't know. I'm not really a doctor. You should be on ER. You know, the, the, the red, when you pull your eye to the side, I don't know. I hate that. <laughs> I can't deal with eyes, man. Eyes are gross. It is kind of gross when you can see, when you can envision the sphere that's yes. in the socket. That is yes. slightly gross. I agree. I agree with that. And I end up having to cover my own eyes. I'm literally covering my own eyes right now just in the thought of this. <laughs> man, disgusting. Man. We can't handle it. Lex, just remember that human beings are made out of all sorts of squishy, gooey, bloody parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I think My body is a wonderland. John Mayer was absolutely right. Um, but I don't know. The blood and eyeballs involved, I just really... I, I wouldn't want to do without them, but I, I don't like thinking about them or acknowledging their existence. I think of your body as more of a Six Flags. <laughs> That's fair. You, you know, I, honestly, with the theme park that I spend the most time at, my body is more of a sesame place. <laughs> oh, sesame place. Where is that? Pennsylvania somewhere. That's right. Langhorn, yeah. Pennsylvania. We, um, our season passes expire at the end of October, so we, uh, we've been there about 87 times. Better get out there again. Oh, we, we were literally there this weekend, and I think we'll probably go once more. That's been around for a long time. Is it getting all uh, charmingly run down and junky, or are they adding new stuff to it? They do keep updating it. You know, sometimes it's renovations, and they have actually added new things as well. So it's, it's, it doesn't seem dingy or run down, which is nice. But what's hilarious is it was built, you know, I went there when I was a kid. Uh, it was built long before, certainly before Elmo's uh, ascension to the peak of the Sesame oh, yeah. Street pile, but even before oh, yeah. he existed. So, like, the giant sign out front is Big yeah. Bird. <laughs> and you think of, like, he's like, who gives a shit about Big Bird? In terms, of, he sure he towers above them literally, but in terms of stature, he's like pathetic. He's a below Grover. If yeah, you ask he's me. a he's now a bit player. Yeah, right. And so, but he welcomes you to Sesame Place on the big sign, and that always but, cracks me up. Yeah, all the all the kids are like, "Who is that?" It's like a third string Muppet, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I will say the technology at Sesame Place has gotten very impressive. So now they've got the regular characters who walk around uh, costumed, but when you go see the shows. The mouths of the puppet heads or the, the, the costume heads are all robotically controlled and sync to the audio. So, like, Elmo's mouth flaps open and shut during the, the Elmo show, which it's, is pretty... It sounds magical the way you describe it. <laughs> yeah. Flapping heads. Why wouldn't kids love that? Elmo's mouth flaps open and shut. Yeah. Can you see the red gooey stuff? <laughs> it, right. You can, almost, you can almost imagine him eating your soul as he does it. But it's... Uh, it's nice. Uh, you know, we, before, the first time we t- ever took any of the kids to Sesame Place, we talked to them for a little while ahead of time about how, you know, Elmo's big. Elmo's going to be almost daddy <laughs> size because we didn't want them to freak out. And um, it really, it worked. Uh, and they are totally comfortable. They never have panicked at those giant characters at Sesame Place. I would. I, I once ordered, though, a, uh, an Elmo costume for myself to wear at my kid's birthday party. Because you could rent the costume for, I don't know, like $175 or pay a guy to do it for $200, or you could buy the costume for $200. So I said, I'll do that. So I have this. How tall are you, Lex? 6'2. So 
I had to get a special custom made one and, and with a custom head that could fit my giant head. And that doesn't freak out my kids, this extremely absurdly tall Elmo, because, you know, the costume ends up being taller than you are. So Elmo is probably about six, seven Jeez. Uh, when he visits my house. And it does freak. It did freak out many of the other party goers. So uh, if you encounter later in life, children, people who as children were terrified of Elmo, that was probably my fault. Freakishly large Elmo. And it's like too skinny. It's like the wrong body shape because you're used to Elmo having the one shape. And like it, it, when I, it's I'm Stretch Elmo. I'm Gumby Elmo. And it's I'm envisioning weird. you after your kids have all grown up and left the house. You're going to be the guy in the Elmo costume with like the parrot on his shoulder. The sad parrot perched over you and your <laughs> yes. casket and your giant Elmo costume. <laughs> Open casket, of course. So I'm just imagining yeah. every time you put on the Elmo costume, the parrot's like, "Oh, Lex is gone again." <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I want to talk about our uh, sponsor this week. That's a good idea. Our sponsor this week is uh, Igloo. Igloo is a digital workplace. That means you can give updates, have discussions, and share files with your team all in one place. How does this help you at work? Uh, you can keep on task without having to update your team, your manager, your manager's manager. What about your manager's manager's manager? Uh, I think they don't need to be updated either. Excellent. Uh, everything you need is right there inside your team blog. Uh, you can see if someone's messing with your project. You can use the activity stream. You can you can actually see what files people are creating, what they're sharing with each other or with clients. You can share links, have discussions with your team, document all your processes. Processes. This must cost like ten million dollars per month. Am I right? Uh, only one million dollars a month. Oh wow! No, you can uh, you you can you can calm down. Igloo starts at ninety nine dollars per month for a team of twenty five people and scales up to the enterprise. Uh, you can get your team inside the igloo with a free thirty day trial. They've got a special URL just for unprofessional listeners. You can go to igloosoftware.com slash unprofessional. And uh, for, for our listeners, they're even giving away a $150 iTunes gift card. Very cool. I'm going to try to win that. I don't think you're allowed to. Really quick, before, I, obviously, uh, I want to get back to, to Jonathan, but while we're uh, whoring ourselves out, we should say, if you would like to sponsor Unprofessional, uh, get in touch. Do you know the URL offhand? It is sponsor.muleradio.net. If you want to help us get more sponsors, don't forget to go rate us five stars on iTunes. I mean, only if you feel like we're five stars worthy. If you only think we're four stars, that's fine. But go rate us five stars on iTunes. So going back to the animal thing, when discussing the uh, the animals doing crazy things, there's a there, there's a whole like uh, a collection of elephants that paint paintings. Oh yeah, like paint roses. They paint self portraits. They paint all sorts. You can buy these. Yeah, elephant elephant paintings. They're they're terrible paintings. Well, of, of course they are. They're painted by <laughs> elephants. They're elephants. You know. I, I thought that that turned out to be a hoax. I don't know. Maybe it is. When you say self-portrait, what, what, is, what, what is it that you mean exactly? <laughs> How do we know that it's drawing himself and not some oh, other Oh, no. It was, uh, as I recall, it was that they, they just know mechanically how to paint an elephant, which is still impressive. Oh, I see. I see. They paint, they paint elephants. Right. Or they can uh, paint elephants. Yeah. So Snopes clarifies that it's kind of true that you can see a video of elephants real in real time painting elephants um, somewhat abstractly, but they have been taught right. to create these paintings. So it's not like they looked at themselves and said, let me paint me. It's they've been taught. Here's how you paint right. an elephant. Wait, so a human goes to art school and learns how to paint an elephant. That's impressive. But you do the same thing with an elephant and that's not impressive. Correct. I'm a, I'm, I have to side with the elephants. Well, certainly if, if the painting is no good, then, you know, sorry, elephant. Right, right. I mean, if if we're, if it had some photorealism or if it had some good textures or shading, that'd be one thing. But this is pretty much you call this an elephant. I could paint this. Get out of here. This is shit. 
Do you know, I, I feel like I'm going to skew slightly inappropriate, and I apologize, <laughs> but I just learned recently that elephants have prehensile penises with which they can pick things up. And I, I'm not exactly jealous of that talent, because I don't know what one would do with it in my case. Carry more stuff. But it still seems... Lift weights. <laughs> it still seems cool. What, what, what possible... That seems like overkill, honestly. What? <laughs> yeah. I think they're just showing off at this point. What evolutionary uh, pressure was there that made that uh, a good idea? I have an answer to this question. I do know the answer to this. And I don't know about elephants, but I know that uh, kangaroos have a similar uh, ability. And uh, from accidentally stumbling in while uh, kangaroos were mating and observing this phenomenon, uh, the best I I can figure, and, and I say I have an answer, I have a good guess. The best I can figure is that it's about finding the target. Uh, I think I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, and you're exactly right. It's they. I'm learning this as you say it. <laughs> that um, it's too hard for an <laughs> too hard for uh. an elephant to do. This is this is a direct quote from scienceblogs.com. Well, if it's science, it's okay to say. Yeah. It's too hard for the elephant to quote do the rhythmic thrusting that's required, so he lets his penis do all the work for him. Now that's a ele- okay. Now I'm impressed by elephants. You know what? That is great advice for anyone. <laughs> let let your penis do the work. <laughs> Rel- relax, relax. Someone has a new ringtone. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh man. You know the 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 trouble with this, uh, at least with the uh, the the kangaroos. Again, I can't speak for elephants. I've only seen the kangaroos, but my observation was that while the male kangaroo was trying to, you know do his business with his prehensile penis. The, uh, the female kangaroo was busy uh, uh, pooping on his penis. Hmm. Yeah. Nature is such a miracle, you know? I- I'm unsubscribing from this podcast. Mm-hmm.